You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to episode 99. Here Ooh. we go. The big one hundo next week should be good. Hamish, how you doing? I'm doing well. We um, what are we what are we doing next week? We we're trying to get some some uh, audio questions from yes. the audience. So if you're out yep. there, we'll say it right up front to get as many yep. people as possible. But um, you can send us an email with a, an audio recording of a question. That's something we would like to do. If we don't get enough, we won't do it. But um, I highly encourage you to go do that. The email address is younginvestorspodcast at gmail.com. Yes. So if you have a question, um, do a little audio snippet of yourself, record it, and then send it as an attachment to that email. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be a question too. It can be a question like the Q&A stuff that we do. It can be a discussion topic. Um, if you just want to hear our perspective on something and it's not really a question, you'd just like us to, I don't know, someone might call up and say, hey, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Even though I would imagine everyone already knows our thoughts on Bitcoin, <laughs> but you get the idea. Um yeah, you can, you can say anything you want, but yeah, record yep. a little audio snippet if you want. Um, otherwise, if you don't feel comfortable with that, just send us, uh, just send in a question or a discussion topic. You can just leave a comment on the uh, YouTube version of the of the podcast, or you can, uh, yeah, send send anything you want to us at to younginvestorspodcast at gmail.com. But hmm. we want to try and make episode 100 something a little bit special, a little bit different. So we thought that might be a cool way to, to go about it. But yeah, we'll see um, if we get a lot of uh, people calling in, uh, then we'll do that. If not, we'll just kind of make it, uh, I guess, more of a Q&A based episode like what we would normally do. Mm. Um, and just people can write in with questions instead. I might might put the feelers out on Instagram as well, see what people have got to, got to ask. But um, mm. yeah, overall, should be a good podcast either way next week. The big one hundo. We should have Very plenty exciting. to talk about anyway as well. Um, we've even got plenty <laughs> to talk about today because earnings season has begun. Yes. Yes. It has. So, it's, um, we are talk- well, I'm going to be talking about Tesla. What are yes. you talking about? I'm going to be talking about Netflix and Chipotle. Um, nice. And it, it, it's, of course, this happens, but the first this is kind of the first major week of earnings season where there's been some big companies that a lot of people would like to see. And of yep. course, in the same week, there's actually some pretty substantial news that that came out as well. So of <laughs> All course, at once, of course, it? that news couldn't just come out last week when <laughs> when, when we, we had struggling. nothing to talk about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was surprised that last week's podcast went for as long as it did because that was the slowest news week I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even I think the week before that, there was a couple of weeks there where yeah. it just felt like we were just searching <laughs> for yeah. something. But, yeah. uh, Please give us anything to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Biologists found a new species of snail. All right. <laughs> Guess that's in. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a good topic of conversation. <laughs> you do say that, oh, but dear. we did go on to talk about teapots and, and ushies. Tea, and- yeah, all sorts. Good <laughs> Very loosely related to personal finance yeah. and, and money and <laughs> any connection anyway. at all. All right, should we get stuck into the sponsor? Yes, so today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite. So ShareSite is an application that you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio uh, and it will allow you to keep track of your capital gains, your dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, then it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. And then the main reason why I personally use it is when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 10 different reports that can be used at tax time to easily work out things such as your capital gains, your dividend income, and more. Uh, and at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So you can try it for free for as long as you want. There's a free plan. But if you want to sign up to a paid, uh, pl- uh, paid plan with some more features, then you can also use that link to get four months free when you sign up to a yearly subscription, which is what did we work that out as? Thirty three percent off. One hundred percent off. One hundred. Ninety nine percent off. 
<laughs> it's a good deal. It's, it's a good deal. It's pretty good. Go check it out. Um, we get ready. We can we can troll everyone that uh, that skips the ad in in fifteen second blocks. Ready? Watch this. Wow, that has got to be the most revolutionary, game changing news story that I have literally ever seen. I can't, man. That is just absolutely unreal, Hamish. I can't believe that you've uh, that uh, that that's happened. I've man, never that, ever seen that before. That's that's, that's literally just, that's got to be. Has that ever happened ever before? Ever? I, I don't think so. I don't think, I don't so. think so. I don't think no, anything is, has ever had such a broad and significant impact on people's lives than that. It's going to shift the stock market for sure. Yeah. It's going to yeah. have a really big impact on the market. I, I would probably expect it would take it down at least maybe 20%, 30%. At least. At least, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I wonder if we got anyone just then. I hope I'm so. sure we got someone that's just tuned in, rewound, and then realized we got them. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. All right. <laughs> anyway. Where should we uh, go first? What should we talk about first? Yeah, I don't know. Um, we can talk. Actually, we'll talk about this. Robinhood yeah, users. Oh yeah. my gosh! It seems like every every month or, month or so, there's a new story coming out about Robinhood being hacked in some <laughs> some some aspect. Um, so the news this week is that hackers reportedly accessed two thousand Robinhood trading accounts, um, and they actually. It sounds as though they actually took money from them too. Yeah. Uh, so it says that Robinhood said a limited number of its customers were targeted because the email address associated with their accounts was compromised outside of the app. The hack mm. did not stem from a breach of the company's systems, a spokesperson said. However, uh, some of the victims told Bloomberg that they found no signs that criminals had gotten into their email accounts. And some said their trading accounts were broken into, even though they used two-factor authentication, yeah, now, which requires someone logging in to confirm their identity in two ways. Yeah. Now, that's really interesting, right? Because uh, a lot of people have it set up so that they get a text message with a code when they log in. Yep. Um, but if people didn't receive that code and they got hacked, that would, that, I mean, that would likely indicate that something on, on Robin Hood's end yep. has failed, that that two-factor authentication wasn't that didn't go through so that's wild it's hard to know yeah hard to know what to believe however some of these victims were pretty pretty adamant uh that uh that they had done nothing wrong and yeah. uh, then robin hood's spokesperson co has come out and said no 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 it's nothing to do with our system no 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 yeah I, so I, I was mm. watching a video of someone reporting on this i can't remember what video it was but there was a number of people who commented on that just on that video that said they got hacked that um in their account someone attempted to sell their positions and and kind of like liquidate their Ooh, portfolio wow. and th there was a lot of people who think that i was just reading some of the threads a lot of people think that it's a lot more than 2000 accounts mm, because of just right. the sheer number of people just on this one video that had a few thousand views that were saying yep me too and obviously there's no Ooh, way to okay. confirm if those people are telling the truth or they're just jumping in on it for the youtube comments but um yeah like just from what i was reading it was a lot of people <laughs> and it wasn't a big mm. youtube video um, wow. So yeah, very very strange situation. Not good for for Robin hard Hood to know what to believe, who to believe. It, exactly. Yeah. Sounds like something something's fishy somewhere along the line, though. Yeah, something's gone real wrong. <laughs> something's gone wrong. Yeah. Uh, it says here, affected users also complained that Robinhood didn't have a customer service phone number to field their complaints. The news service reported Robinhood is reportedly considering setting up such a phone line. <laughs> Um, one of these, one of these people who had thousands of dollars go missing from their Robinhood account, man, that would just be the worst God. feeling ever. Robert Raichi said that it's kind of ridiculous that an investment app that's handling people's livelihoods, people's money has the audacity to make people wait several weeks to hear back anything. Uh, I mean, he's not wrong, but then again, this, this this is the price. This raises the point. This is the price that you as a consumer pay when you opt for brokerage free services, right? Yeah. 
because at the end of the day, you got to think about the, these different business models. I mean, the reason that a Comsec might cost a lot in brokerage is because it's run by Commonwealth Bank. Commonwealth Bank have a branch just down at my local shopping center that I can go and walk into and I can field any complaints that I've got and I can talk to someone and they can talk back to me and they can log on and they can work through the solution with me or I could call them up on their customer service line and and all of those systems cost Commonwealth Bank money. So, obviously, they have to make that money back. So, they charge a brokerage fee to be able to pay for everything. These other websites like Robinhood is brokerage free. So, they're not collecting any revenue in that aspect. So, they've still got to make the numbers work for their business. So, they start chopping away at the costs. And one of the biggest costs that will get chipped away at if you're not charging brokerage is customer support and Mm. customer service. Um, there won't be any branches. There's not a Robin Hood branch at the mall that you can just go and walk <laughs> into and ask someone. Yeah. Um, and even be- So, it's kind of a trade-off. Like, obviously, yeah. I, uh, this is a terrible event that's happened and people have been hacked and, you know, Robin Hood needs to lift their game like because this is just not, not on really. But um, uh, then again, when people complain, oh, then I didn't have a, a customer service thing to, to report to or to field my inquiry. Well, that's part of the deal of- the whole app being brokerage free. It's kind of swings and roundabouts, I guess. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that, that's the, always the argument I've used. I, I use Comsec and I know that it is a lot more expensive than using a lot of other different platforms that just have lower brokerage or no brokerage at all. But mm. that's just been my argument. I, I don't. I hope I never have to walk into a branch and, and say that something's wrong with my account, that something doesn't add up. But um if it does happen, I know that I can do that. And I, th- I feel like there's a certain point and this might be different for different people, but I feel like there's a certain point of how much you're investing in which it just makes sense to pay brokerage for that customer service. Like if you're, yeah. if you're just getting started and you're only investing a, a few hundred dollars or even, you know, a couple thousand dollars or something, and that's mm. relatively small for you, um, then fine. Like, you, you know, have your no brokerage, um, services and and maybe it's not a big deal if you if you don't have the really great customer service but mm. if you're investing like your retirement fund for example you yep. would certainly want to have um good customer support on yep. your side so yeah yeah the risk is always there it's just um with small amounts of money the consequences aren't as severe with large sums of money then the consequences are severe so yeah i mean you just have to take that into consideration um, but having said that, that definitely does not excuse Robinhood for having a leaky brokerage site. No, where, yeah. <laughs> where, yeah, where breaches happen. It seems like not, you know, decently regularly, unfortunately, you hear something popping up with Robinhood and their accounts being hacked or something going wrong. So, um, there's definitely two sides of the coin here, but I definitely think that Robinhood needs to up the ante in terms of its security of its platform. Yeah, maybe they just haven't really invest. I don't know. Um, you yeah, I don't know either. May- maybe they really don't make that much money because they don't charge brokerage. I, yeah, I don't know. Not. I would love to see the financials of a company that doesn't charge brokerage just to see mm. like how much are you actually making like from each user, for example. Um, because yeah, I, I imagine that you would have to have a huge number of users um, in order to generate you know, a large amount of revenue. So in other words, I would imagine you're not generating that much revenue from each user, um, which mm. kind of leaves very little to to protect against breaches and provide customer service and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, not sure. Mm. Uh, generates revenue from a broad range of sources, including gold membership fees, stock loans, and rebates from market makers and trading venues. Oh, that's right. Because they, they had that thing where... Uh, here it says, in December 2019, FINRA fined Robinhood $1.25 million for failing to direct trades so that its customers received the best prices. So, I think that came at some benefit to, to Robinhood uh, doing that, some financial benefit, and then they got in trouble for that. I, I can't quite remember. I need to do more research um, before I commented too much on that. But yeah, definitely uh, not good to see Robinhood users getting hacked. Um, definitely need to lift their game. But uh, yeah, should we move on? Yeah, should we? Maybe we can get into one of these earnings reports. 
Sure. Um, Do you want to take one first? Yeah, yeah. I'll take us through Netflix. Um, All right, sure. So, yeah, I mean, Netflix reported their third quarter 2020 earnings, like most companies around this time. And uh, the headline from the the article that I was reading from CNBC Mm. was that they missed expectations on earnings per share and on subscriber additions. So, pretty negative um, headline straight away. And then, of course, we can kind of jump into to some of the specific numbers. So revenue came in at $6.44 billion, uh, which was up 22.7% year over year. So revenue saw a substantial increase, although um, yep. progressively over time, that percentage year over year increase has kind of gone down as you would expect as the company gets yep. bigger. Uh, earnings per share came in at $1.74 and that was up 18% year over year, uh, but they were expected to deliver $2.14. And um, yeah, oh, I, mean, okay. I, I don't really, I don't think either of us really care too much about what was expected from Wall Street, yeah, yeah, but yeah, exa- exactly. um, that's kind of the headline that always comes out, especially yeah. around these big tech companies. Um, yeah. And then in terms of their subscriber addition, so how many new people subscribe to Netflix, that's obviously one of the most important numbers to, to focus on for Netflix. Um, the number came in at 2.2 million versus the 3.57 million expected. So they missed uh, by yeah. a lot. On, and this is yeah. so. This has really dropped down from uh, what was that they were adding many more subscribers than that even last quarter, weren't they? Yeah, boy, with I, the I, lockdown, I wish they I had a lot of pull forward. Yeah, I wish I had those numbers. I believe it was between six and eight million. They they did in either Q one or Q two. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, basically Netflix on these numbers, obviously they gave a bit of commentary, and Netflix just said the low numbers were expected due to the huge number of ads. Uh, that they had in Q1 and Q2. So um, yeah. back in Q2, I think we spoke about this. Um, they basically argued that the third quarter was going to be weaker in terms of s- subscriber additions because all of the people who would have subscribed in Q3 brought forward their subscription in Q1 or two, just paid earlier because that's when the pandemic began. That's when a lot of people were you know, staying more at yep. home. Um, so I've got the numbers here, actually. Do you want to hear them? Yeah. So this quarter, what was this quarter for subs- subscriber editions? 2.2 million. 2.2 million. Last quarter was 10.1 million. Whoa. The quarter before that was 15.8 million. And then the quarter before that was 8.8 million. Wow. So, um, yeah, that uh, that's quite substantial. How, uh, however, if we consider just Q3, maybe there's some sort of seasonality to it. I wouldn't imagine so, but maybe. Um, the last Q3 was 6.8 million ads. Right. And now this is 2.2 million. So that is a big drop off. However, to be fair, um, uh, yeah, the Netflix uh, CEO and management team, they did for the last like three quarters, they or no, the last two quarters, they have put in their reports that once the lockdown is over, we are likely going to see a substantial drop off in our subscriber ads because of what you were just saying, because of that pull forward yeah. effect, because people that were thinking about it or on the fence about buying Netflix would have signed up in the lockdown period because it's just an opportune time to do so. So, um, it's it's disappointing, obviously, but uh, it's all it's not really unexpected. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, it will sort of certainly be interesting to see how many people who only signed up due to the pandemic cancel that subscription afterwards when it's kind of all in the past. Yeah, that would be interesting. Because I would imagine that, you know, you would hope that based on Netflix's support, like if Netflix has competitive advantages, then you would hope that a substantial amount of those people who never intended to be Netflix subscribers end up being Netflix subscribers. That they End up staying the yeah, course. That yeah, that they're surprised by how good the service is, um, that it's a good deal and, and therefore they stay on. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but certainly uh, Q3 was a lot worse than Q1 and 2. Yeah, so I thought Q1 and 2 was about 6 or 8 million, but what did you say? It was 10 and 15 10. million. Wow. Yeah, 10 million last quarter, 15 the, in the, first the quarter. Q1. Yeah. That was, that was the worst of it though in terms of the shutdown. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Um, in terms of the subscriber additions as well, 46% of those new subscribers came from the Asia Pacific region. So um, now a lot of their new subscribers, now that their US business is is very saturated, I would say they've almost mm. completely um, you know, 
added as many people as they could in the US and Canada, um, they're starting to see most of their news or a substantial portion, at least of their new subscribers coming from international markets, um, from people yeah. in Asia, people in Australia, people in Europe, for example. Um, yeah. And I, I think I can't remember the number off the top of my head. I think it was 180,000 uh, new subscribers came from uh, the United States. So they're still adding a lot mm. in the US, but um, far less than they are from international markets. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, one thing I one thing I always like to look at is uh, how much debt Netflix has. It's kind of my favorite, favorite thing to do every, <laughs> every three months. I put it in- well, they probably haven't been able to do too much, like in terms of production. Yeah recently so they probably wouldn't have had to spend too much money to be honest yeah i mean that's pretty accurate so i was disappointed obviously i wanted to see they'd chucked on another six billion dollars in in debt or you know (laughs) we've taken 46 billion dollars in debt on (laughs) yeah it seems to be like a steady stream of like two or three billion dollars a quarter of debt (laughs) yeah it's just uh it's pretty crazy how much they take on but yes you are correct um so their total debt rose from 15.8 billion to 16 billion so a modest two Hundred million in debt, just two hundred million in debt. You know, just only two hundred million. Just, yeah, just a casual. Especially not too bad for Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that they quoted that. You know, I mean, this is what they didn't quote this. Actually, this is just my interpretation. But I would imagine the same as you that the small rise is probably due to the lack of mu- movie productions that um, they're doing mm. this year. Um, and management yeah. did say that they are picking up a, to a substantial point in how much movies they are producing now compared to the last two quarters, but okay, yeah. it is still down substantially. And I can't really knock Netflix too much. If just looking at this quarter specifically, obviously $16 billion in debt's insane, but um, just looking at this quarter, they only increased it by 200 million and they actually increased their cash position from 7.2 billion to 8.4. So in terms of okay. what they did for their financial position in this quarter, it was actually really good. Um, mm. They increased their cash far more than their debt, which obviously improves their financial position. So yeah, for sure. That was good. And then um, the good news kind of continues in terms of their cash flow. So free cash flow came in at 1.1 billion, which was up from the negative 500 million they had in the same third quarter last year. Um, okay. And free cash flow was positive for the second quarter in a row. Um, however, That's good. I had a look in the cash flow statement to see why that was the case. Um, okay. And uh, <laughs> they spent a billion dollars less on content in this third quarter compared to last third uh. quarter. And that's kind of what we were just sort of talking about, right? That they're they're spending less on production. Um, So had it been a normal production quarter, I would estimate that, I mean, if free cash flow came in at 1.1 and they spent 1 billion less, that'd probably be about break even. Um, Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, management basically said that uh, one, they, this is the same sort of thing that they've been saying for the past couple of quarters now, is that they're now spending much more money upfront to create original content, which does two things. One, it makes their free cash flow really bad upfront, but it means that they mm-hmm. have less ongoing costs related to licensing content from other movie studios and other t- television studios. So um, that's their plan going forward. And they think that free cash flow will therefore improve over time fingers crossed eh yeah well it, it better improve <laughs> given their valuation yeah, it's kind of funny that yeah it's just like i think i said this on whenever we spoke about netflix last it's like do they need for their business to be profitable they need the world to be in a constant state of lockdown <laughs> with a pandemic <laughs> Uh, no, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm quite harsh on Netflix. I mean, I like what they do. I think they've got a really good platform. I, I like a lot of the content on there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's just, it's always when you end up looking at the numbers that things just don't quite add up Yeah. Um, when we're talking investments. But yeah, I think that in terms of the product that they offer, it's still a pretty darn decent product. In fact, I... I probably have been watching more on Netflix than Disney Plus. I thought that I would when, you know, I was just saying Disney Plus will come out and then Disney is such a huge company. It's got so much content and just destroy Netflix. But um, so far, Disney Plus, while it does have, you know, the Marvels and the Star Wars and all that sort of stuff, the rest of it is more kid kind of content, kid focused content. So, um, So, I haven't actually been watching it as much as what I thought 
I was going to watch it. So there you go. So maybe there is, you know, I think Disney said that their strategy was to keep more of their adult, well, not adult content. That means something different, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> like 15 plus their, content. Their content focused for adults to watch Yeah, <laughs> is going to stick more to, to Hulu, whereas right. uh, the kids stuff is going to be more on uh, on Disney Plus. So maybe mm. there's... Maybe there's a space for Disney Plus, Hulu, and, and Netflix to all uh, thrive. Coexist. But, uh, I guess time will tell. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like as much as I knock Netflix for having a, a ton of debt, they are producing a lot of content. Uh, yeah. it, it's kind of insane how often, and I don't know what it's like in the US, but in Australia, every now and then, maybe every couple of weeks, maybe not every couple of weeks, maybe every month, um, I'll get a notification. It'll say eighty new titles coming out next week, and I'm like, what? Wow. 80 new titles. Like It's insane. It's pretty crazy how much content yeah. they're producing. And especially in terms of original content, um, a lot of new original TV series coming out. It has been coming mm. out this year and will be coming mm. out in the future. So very interesting. Yeah. Um, there wasn't really that much. I, I had to look through the shareholder letter and basically they just said there's a lot more content coming out next year. Um, they spoke a little bit about Comcast and their launch of Peacock, which is their streaming service. So, um, wow, I haven't even heard of yeah, that. Yeah, pretty much every man and their dog has a streaming service now. We can start the yeah. Young Investors streaming service. Yeah, I was, I was about to <laughs> make the same joke. Because <laughs> I think HBO Max came out a couple months yeah. ago or something. So, yeah, any all the big um, television studios have now got their own piece in the market. Um, yeah. <laughs> something funny that I saw in the, uh, the letter was that Netflix, the CEO said that they, what did they say? They said they l- love competing against Net- Disney and these other uh, and these other streaming services or something. Shut up. No, you don't. Yeah, they said something stupid. What did they say? Let's I've got it here. We are We th- love our job being hard. We are thrilled to be competing with Disney and a growing number of players. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. That is the biggest that's got to be the biggest lie I've ever heard. Oh, that's just <laughs> not true at all. <laughs> mm. <laughs> It's like imagine the, the like team winning a grand final and being man I'm just so glad that it was a close game and and that the, the the result was decided by only one point. Um, I, I love the fact that I had to run an extra five kilometers and you know I'm breathing so heavily. It's like no, you don't. You just you want to roll into a grand final and win, just win by a hundred points. <laughs> <laughs> that's your ideal. Idea, yeah. So that's pretty much all I had for Netflix. Stock was down. Seven percent, but it's up eighty-four percent for the past year. So it's kind of yeah, not really relevant at this point if you're looking at any mm-hmm. long period of time. But that's all we had yeah, for true. Netflix. All right, let's move on then. Let's go into T E S L A. T E S L A. Tesla, man, whoa, a lot of lot to unpack. Uh, I didn't get through the whole conference call, so apologies. If there's anything revolutionary out of the conference call, then I'll just chuck it into the next next week's podcast. But um, mm. so we uh, we talked about Tesla very quickly uh, last week, so I don't want to repeat too much of what I was saying last week. Um, as we know, Q3 record deliveries. Um, so they had 145,000 cars produced, which is up 51% year over year. They had 139,000 delivered, which is up 44% year over year. Um, So that was their automotive stuff. And then we can also look at their solar and their energy storage. So they uh, got 57 megawatts of solar installed, which was, get this, up 111% quarter over quarter. Wow. Um, which is pretty darn impressive. Um, so that's kind of just showing the continual ramp up of the solar roof because the solar roof is really starting to catch on now. Um, right. Although they do say that they're still quite constrained with the solar roof because at the moment they're just trying to get more people trained up, more installation teams experienced. Um, so they're saying that actually next year will probably be a big year for the solar roof. Right. And um, is this solar roof, is that the the tiles that are- Yeah, this is the tiles. Yeah, <laughs> That is so cool. I, I think that's just genius. It is. It's very smart, yeah, isn't it? It is. And, and it looks so much cleaner. Yeah. And I don't know how much it's actually costing now, but I remember Musk talking about how he was trying to get the cost to to be the same cost as just replacing a roof. A normal roof. So yeah. that it would just make no sense for you not to get a solar roof. So exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Because 
On top of that, you've got to remember that it's a solar roof, so it's also saving you money and electricity every month. So if they can do that, then that's absolutely, you're 100% right. Yeah. Why would you not buy this product? Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think it was more expensive, but if you include the savings from the fact that you're getting generating solar power, I think it was supposed to be at least break even or better. Break even or cheaper maybe. Yeah, yeah. Than so, the whole package. Yeah, right. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah, interesting. It's still a very small part of their business, right? It's Oh, tiny, yeah. tiny, tiny, tiny. It's like 99, 95% of their revenue is, is related to automotive right. at the moment. Actually, I think it's like 90, 90%. But yeah, it's, it's ridiculously small. Um, but yeah, so that was solar. And then um, they, in terms of energy storage, they deployed uh, 759 megawatt hours of storage, which is great, uh, up 81% quarter over quarter. So that's continual ramping of Powerwall and uh, Megapack and, and those sort of products. Um, then in terms of their factories, a lot of hype goes around the factories. So how are they doing? Well, in terms of Fremont, they said that we've current uh, we've recently increased the capacity of Model 3 and Model Y to 500,000 units a year. Production should reach full capacity towards the end of this year or beginning of next year. So that's out of their um, their their American Fremont factory that they've been running for Yonks. So wow. that's very exciting. 500,000 units a year from Fremont. Um, in terms of Shanghai, Model 3 production capacity has increased to 250,000 units a year uh, and Model Y construction continues as we speak, uh, which is exciting. Hmm. Then in Berlin, uh, the buildings are under construction right now and equipment move-in will start over the coming weeks and they expect production to start in 2021. Berlin's going to be the first factory that makes their new, um, their new battery cells. And Berlin's also starting with the Model Y first as opposed to the Model 3. So, that should be interesting. And then in terms of Texas, they're just just starting construction on that. I think they've just finished the groundworks or something like that for for Texas. Yeah. Fascinating. So, at the moment, they have the capacity, or at least I guess over the next year, they'll have the capacity to, to produce a lot more than they are right now. They've got- Than what they currently are. That's good. Yeah, their outlook, they said that for 2020, they wanted to build five- Let me just make sure I've got this right. Uh, outlook. Yeah, for 2020, they wanted to deliver 500,000 vehicles. And obviously, that's before kind of they had to get locked down. They're still striving right. for that. But yeah, if we say that at the moment, they're aiming for 500,000. And then just from, what is it, Fremont and Shanghai- uh, I mean, Shanghai is already at 250,000 units a year, and that's before Model Y. So, at the moment, they're looking at 750,000 units a year of construction capacity before Shanghai Model Y. So, Model Y Shanghai will come online next year, mm. as will they're, they're expecting some initial Cybertruck construction in Texas next year, but only in small volumes. And Berlin that says here production is expected to start in 2021. So, they've got a lot of capacity to grow that quite quickly over the next couple of years. Yeah, right. And then at, at the same time, it's it's kind of crazy. Like if they see a 50% increase in uh, how many vehicles people purchase, then they could reach their capacity and they've got to build these huge factories to to kind of continuously expand their demand. It's really fascinating situation. I've never kind of watched a, an auto company I mean, I've obviously never watched an auto company grow from from scratch yeah. and it's just- Because they're all so old. Yeah, ex- exactly. No, but it, it's yeah. fascinating to kind of see it quarter by quarter. And mm. okay, we can, we're now doing about 500,000, but we need to build another factory and another factory and another factory. Yeah. It's, it's very fascinating. Yeah, it is, it, is watch, it is interesting watching the manufacturing capacity increase over time and how they do it. And also watching that- directly correlate with the financials, how that increases their revenue, yeah. but also the cost savings that they make as they iterate on these newer factories, like how 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 many lessons they've learned, I suppose, to keep the cost down while keeping the revenue high. Yeah, it's it's very interesting case study to watch happen um, in front of us. Yeah, it's um, very educational. Like I probably wouldn't invest in Tesla or another straight car automaker Probably not for a while, but just to kind of watch Tesla expand is just so educational Mm. that if at some point in the future I wanted to invest in that industry specifically, then um, then I could. Then I would I would know a little bit about it. Insight. 
And it's a good case study of vertical integration too, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> um, so what else? Outlook. So we already talked about they're still striving for that 500,000 vehicles delivered. Um, they say, while achieving this goal has become more difficult, delivering half a million vehicles in 2020 remains our target. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also note that we should have sufficient liquidity to fund our product roadmap, long-term capacity expansion plans and other expenses. So that's a good sign when they chuck that in, saying they've got enough cash on hand to do what they want to do. Um, and then let's get into the financials. So um, obviously, we, I, I love looking at the operational data with Tesla. That's like, I actually prefer to look at the operational stuff more than the financial stuff. But of mm. course, we have to look at the financial stuff if <laughs> we are investors, because otherwise we are just being stupid. Um, so in terms of automotive revenue, so just the car side of their business, uh, $7.6 billion of automotive revenue, which is up 47% quarter over quarter and up 42% year over year. Wow. So very good increases there. Total revenue. So here we go. So automotive revenue was $7.6 billion. Total revenue is $8.8 billion. So you can see a, a most mm. of their revenue is automotive. Uh, but yeah, $8.8 billion total revenue. So that's up 45% quarter over quarter and up 39% year over year. Their operating margin was quite impressive. It increased to 9.2%, which was up from 5.4% in the last quarter. Oh, wow. So, that's pretty decent. Yeah. When you consider, yeah, that's just like their whole, all their operations and they can get like that much of a, what is it? Like a three point, three point something percent rise, 3.8% rise or whatever. And their operating margin is pretty good. Yeah. It's really impressive. Um Net income, 331 million, up 218% quarter over quarter and up 131% year over year. There's that operating margin coming in handy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Operating cash flow from 964 million to get this 2.4 billion. Wow. That's starting to get impressive. Yeah, nice raise in the operating cash flow. So that means that even that that rise in the operating cash flow means even with their capital expenditure rising from 546 million to 1 billion dollars in the last quarter free cash flow was still up by 234% from 418 million to 1.4 billion. So very free cash flow positive for that quarter. And I think that the 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 big takeaway for me for this quarter was that this has surely got to silence people that are still clinging on to the idea that Tesla doesn't make money. Yeah. While they, they don't make a huge amount of money, like you compare how much they take home versus like their their total their total revenue. I mean, you, you gotta you gotta say that this 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 car company is now proven. It, it, it's proven that they they are making money. Um, so people that say, oh yeah, but this quarter of profitability was just a bit of a fluke. I just don't think that your argument holds up anymore. No. They've done, I think they've been profitable now for five quarters in a row. So yeah, I just, I just think that that argument is now just dead. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's no doubt there's a clear trend that their business as it's scaled has been able to generate more cash flow. Um, yeah. it's then just a question of whether that cash flow is, uh, enough for the current stock price. I just did a quick... Oh, um, yeah. Oh, that, no that, way. Obviously, I know that's a different <laughs> story, but I I, um, yeah. I just did a quick calculation after you read out that number because I wanted to see mm. what their, um, like their price to free cash flow, how has that kind of changed? Because I knew it was about 1,000, I think, before or something oh, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's now 280. So, it's yeah. coming down. but It's coming down, but it's still... <laughs> still insane. <laughs> still pretty insane. Yeah, uh, no, no doubt. Like yeah. I, I'm the first one to admit, like I'm a long-term Tesla shareholder and I'm the first one to admit that that stock price is something ridiculous. Um, when you look at a PE ratio of, you know, whatever it is, um, like over a thousand or something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, what else do we need to talk about? Oh, this is really interesting. This is, I, I caught the start of the, the um, conference call mm. and full self-driving uh, has been, the the rollout of full self driving has begun. Oh wow! How exciting is that? Yeah. So they they say that they are going to roll this out very very slowly and very very cautiously. So the, I think they've got like this group of Tesla owners who have been Tesla owners for forever, and they're like on an early access program for right. new software. And I think the kind of agreement there is that they're like ultra safe drivers. They're almost they almost volunteer themselves as test dummies for new software. Yeah. Um, so I think that they get 
they get to experience the full self-driving uh, beta first and kind of get a feel for it. And Tesla will start collecting data from from that new system because it remember the autopilot system got a fundamental rewrite. Um, previously, they were using um they were labeling images like still images yeah. um and they they approached a local maximum which wasn't going to get them to full self-driving it wasn't reliable enough so they changed okay. the system to then label video instead of of uh images oh. and so they're just rolling that new new system out because they said that they essentially had to do that rewrite to actually make full self-driving you know, uh, worldwide, any situation, regardless of whether you've got internet connection, doesn't rely on maps. For that system to work, it needed to needed to have a change. So that's, I think, that's what they're rolling out right now. Wow, that's super exciting. It's um, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be great when they slowly roll that out more and more, and they can collect more mm-hmm. data while people are actually using full self driving, and then it, it's only going to get exponentially better. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, definitely. And that's the argument I would make. I have a feeling a lot of short sell. I have a feeling like there's going to be kinks in this software that need to be ironed out. And short sellers are going to jump all over it and be like, oh my gosh, you know, full self-driving needs another rewrite. It's terrible. But I mean, the way I, I would think about it is if you rewound the clock, like, I don't know what, 20 years, Google the search engine probably wasn't that great. It probably was pretty primitive and it probably didn't function like it functions today. However, given time and continual revision and more people using it and feeding information into the neural net, which is what Google is, it's a neural net for a search engine, um, the more that they feed the neural net of the full self-driving software, the better it gets. To eventually, like, hands down, Google is the best search engine on the planet. Nothing even comes close. And eventually, use training the neural net, uh, Tesla full self-driving will be the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of time. I think that's a really good example. It's kind of in- in- crazy how good Google is. Sometimes I'll just, when I'm searching something, I kind of am just so wowed <laughs> by- That it knows b- what you by want. By the recommendations. Like, it's something yeah. so simple. And we, we get used to it so quickly because I think that, I mean, it's such a slow progressive change that a lot of the time you don't even notice that it's getting better but when you mm. really think about it it's very good i don't think i when you zoom out you yeah. never really search the full thing that you're searching for anymore and yeah, it'll pop up for you that, yeah. that wasn't something you could do well it certainly wasn't something you could do 20 years ago but even 10 years ago that was probably not mm. something you could do exactly right yeah yep should we use that yeah. as a segue into our Google story or do you have anything else for, for Tesla? Uh, the only last thing I was just going to quickly notify people of is that Tesla have also cut their prices of the Model 3 uh, worldwide, I'm pretty sure. Um, but here in Australia, uh, the base cost of the Model 3 reduced by about $8,000. So. Oh, wow. If you're interested in that vehicle and you've always thought it was a little bit too expensive, I would just encourage you to go check out the Tesla website and the design studio because you might be in for a pleasant surprise that uh, the car you want is actually about $8,000 cheaper now. So, that's the only thing I was going to. Sorry, I completely ruined your segue there. damn it. I apologize. <laughs> let's sorry, but yes, let's let's use that talk of neural nets and improvements and whatnot to segue into... Google news. Thanks for that. Um, I wasn't ready for that. I thought you were still talking. <laughs> I could tell. You thought I was going to say something else. But I wasn't. Google news. All right. All right. How big's their fine this week? Yes. So um, not an actual fine, pending fine, we oh, okay. should say. Um, so Google was, uh, the big news this week is Google was sued for antitrust by the US government. So um, Ooh, wow. okay. this has been something that's kind of been possibly in the works for a long time. You might remember that earlier this year, uh, the Google CEO, Apple CEO, Amazon CEO, and Facebook CEO, all of those CEOs were called into Congress to answer questions Mm -hmm. around antitrust. And um, I believe that was the second time that they've had to go into Congress in terms of antitrust. I might be wrong, but over the past year or so, this has really kind of been ramping up that, well, the the Justice Department in the US has been investigating these big tech Mm. giants. Um, for antitrust laws. And I, w- I want to jump in because I didn't know what antitrust meant back before we started talking about it. So, I've just looked up a definition if you don't know. Hmm. Um, antitrust refers to a group of businesses that team up or form some sort of monopoly in order to dictate pricing in a, pr- in a particular market. 
Um, antitrust laws exist to promote competition amongst sellers, limit monopolies, and give consumers more options. Um, so I guess it's it's these big companies abusing their power to you know dictate terms. I suppose exactly. I think the way they describe it is anti-competitive tactics. I think they anti-competitive. Use. So yes. whatever they kind of try and identify ways in which companies are using their significant position in the market to stifle competition, to make yes. it harder yeah, for good- other businesses to to compete against them. Um, and allow them yeah, to that's a good maintain their yeah. big um, competitive position. But um, yeah, so the Justice Department is claiming that Google is a monopoly gatekeeper for the internet. Um, and uh, we don't know too much about this lawsuit yet, but- it's a, a good way of putting it, actually. <laughs> it is. Um, and I mean, one of the key kind of data points you might look to as an indication of that is that more than 90% of searches on the internet in the US are made on Google properties. So- Pretty much every person who is searching for something on the internet, whether it's a video or you're doing a text search for a website or to buy something or for job searches, you're doing it through Google. Um, and the mm. Justice Department is arguing that that is anti-competitive. Um, and then there's a couple of kind of things they point out in terms of, I guess, Google's anti-competitive tactics that they say... Uh, breach these laws. Um, One of them is that Google will pay phone manufacturers and tech companies to set Google as the default browser. So if you have an iPhone, um, Google pays Apple a fee, a significant fee, billions of dollars in order to have Google as the default search engine. Um, And uh, the Justice Department is claiming that that's anti-competitive. And then they also stated that on some devices, you cannot delete the Google app. Um, and oh. that's kind of another thing that they're saying is anti-competitive. Like if you want to remove oh, yeah, the Google yeah. app, you should be able to. Um, so yeah. those are that's really all we know. I mean, there's a couple of other things I'll talk about, but that's really all we know about their claims at this point. Um, and we'll find out more over time as this lawsuit plays out. And it's probably going to go for like three years. So <laughs> um, mm. sit back and relax. This isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Usually it's at least, yeah, at least a couple of years. Um but that's where we're at in terms of sort of their claims and the possible outcomes for this. The biggest concern right now, I think, is that they will um, seek a remedy that is that Google is forced to break up their company. So, for example, they might have to sell YouTube so that they can't control All both right. video and search um, sorry, video and text searches on the internet. Um, yeah. the, the justice department could also seek fines. That's usually the most common remedy in these yeah. circumstances, fines, and then requiring them to take some action. Um, mm. so to, to stop doing certain things, I guess. Um, but we don't know, we don't know what they're going to seek at this point. I think if they wanted to punish Google, it has to be some sort of action that they need to take because quite, I mean, (laughs) it's kind of sad, but there is basically no fine big enough that could influence Google. I mean, no, no like fair fine for whatever they feel the punishment should be that will actually impact Google because just they, they just have too much money. So I think that any, (laughs) the, the best if they want to punish Google somehow, I think the best possible way to do it would be make them change change a law and make them take action on something. Um, because we've seen it before, like you know, Facebook cops a you know two billion dollar fine, like two billion dollars for Christ's sake, and it just doesn't put a dent in anything. It's like. Facebook are like, oh, I was trying to get rid of that two billion anyway. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, Pretty much. It's- but I find it interesting. Like, I don't know. I find it interesting that they, the core of the lawsuit, p- paying phone manufacturers and tech companies to set Google as the default browser. I mean, I feel like that's, I feel like that's kind of fair, isn't it? Like to, to pay, <laughs> like I'd like to, pay, let's do a collaboration. I'm going to give you money, your business money. And in, in exchange, you can set my search engine as your default browser. I mean, yeah, I, in the same way, is that's how Google makes money. It's like people pay them to come up first on Google search. It's like, hey, Google, I'll pay you to be the default thing that comes up. Go away, Google. I just triggered Google on my phone. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll pay you to be the default um, 
you know, stock market investing platform profitful when someone searches that? I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's, there's still a long way to go in determining what is fair and what is unfair when it comes to antitrust. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. These laws are so vague. Um, and I, I know that there's, I mean, the big, um, the the last big antitrust lawsuit that people will kind of draw comparison against was the big Microsoft one. Um, and Microsoft lost. Um, they had 90 plus percent market share in operating systems for computers. Yeah. Um, and they had a number of things like Google even complained against um, Microsoft. I, d- I just learned this. Um, Google basically complained because you could only use at the time Microsoft's internet browser on windows. So they had a monopoly on the operating system and then they were blocking competing internet browsers and Google said that that was anti-competitive, which is kind of ironic because now they're facing their own lawsuit. But I don't think it's very similar to, I mean, it is in some ways they do have a significant market share on searches, but the lawsuit is kind of based on the notion that there's something compelling people to use Google search engine that it doesn't even mm. cost you to use Google search engine. So in Windows case, it might cost you to get another computer or to change your operating system to something else, mm. whereas it doesn't even cost you to change um, to change your that's, search that's engine. That's a very good point. So that's where I'm not sure. And I mean, as I said, these, law, these laws are so vague that you never know what's going to happen. Um, there's no mm. right answer. There's no sort of... It's very hard. Yeah. Th- yeah. There's no sort of, yes, you know, like in some laws, it's like, yeah, the guy murdered the other person. <laughs> That's exactly... I was going to draw the exact same <laughs> example that you're, you're just talking about. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, sometimes it's just clear cut. But in this case, it's just Google and the US government both making a case for why Google is or isn't anti-competitive. Um, Mm. so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Google's response. They said a one line response. They said the lawsuit is deeply flawed. Thought that was pretty funny. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can just imagine someone at Google just like hand on their head, like shaking their head. Like this lawsuit is deeply flawed, (laughs) man. These guys don't know what they're talking about. Come on, on, justice department. (laughs) You can do better than this. (laughs) We're running rings around you guys. (laughs) No, nah. I find a fight. Yeah, I was, I was going to, yeah, I was going to draw that same uh, example that you said, where a lot of the law is pretty obvious. It's just like you know, if you murder someone, then that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that we, if if you explained maybe the 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 previous five big antitrust violations, and you just explained them to you, you took a sample size of maybe a thousand people off the street. I have a feeling that you would get a lot of people saying, nah, that's this is wrong. And I think you'd get a lot of people saying, nah, that's that's fair. Yeah. I think a lot of people would say that's wrong and it's anti competitive anti competitive. And I think half the people would say, No, that's that's just that's just business. That's how business works. Yeah. I mean that that's kind of what I look at here when I'm like, um, you know, paying paying phone manufacturers and tech companies to set Google as the default browser. I mean, that's just business. That's just I'll make a deal with you. Um, which is going to help your business because we've got the best search engine and it's going to help my business because people that use your device are going to use my search yeah, engine. And, and on so, that point, I think, it, I think it would be different if Google was paying billions of dollars to Apple to block other browsers. To make people only yeah, if, be yeah. able to use Google's browser, if that was uh, if that, that was kind of a yeah, if that was kind of a gate that Google was able to close on users of iPhones because they have money, mm. that to me is anti-competitive. And even on that, you that could would definitely you, people would probably still debate that. But I think that's anti-competitive. But the fact that yeah. you can just use your thumbs <laughs> and use a different search engine, no one's yeah, no one's if you've got the you. option to use a different search engine, then yeah, I, I feel like that's fine. But yeah, I totally agree. If if yeah, if you had money and you block something, that would be anti-competitive. Yeah, but man, it's just so. Uh, it really, really needs to be honed in on because this is just crazy. I mean, I don't think anyone really understands what's what's anti-competitive or not. No. I mean, when it gets into the when it gets into the minutia or whatever, it's just like yeah, just I just don't know. But I, I think what you say. I think if if you're using money to stop other people then that's probably anti-competitive. But yep. if you're just using your money to, you know, in, engage in legal business activities that help you further your um, your 
your business, then uh, that's, that's, that's business, right? I don't yeah. Know. Bigger businesses can spend very more on topic. advertising. Very interesting topic. Like, Sorry? Bigger businesses can spend more on advertising. Is that anti? That is is that true. anti-competitive? I don't think so. Who knows? Anyway, my favorite Probably. my favorite part of this story was that Google stock was up five percent. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I think that uh, just shows uh, what people think about this uh, lawsuit. But who knows what will happen? It'll be a fascinating yeah. story to cover. We probably won't have anything to say about it for a number of months, but we'll come back to it for sure. I'll be following it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm just looking. We have been talking for a long time. I know. Age. Yeah. This is yeah. Should we uh, should we fly through Chipotle's earnings and then wrap things yeah, up? Yeah, I mean okay. we can just save Q and A for next week because it's going to be That's a big a, episode. I, next I think week, so. yeah, I think that makes sense considering next right, ne- cool. next week we'll probably be doing a, a Q and A sort of podcast. So um, I'll go quickly through Chipotle. There wasn't too much to to say here. I thought I'd just add it in just because we always make our little Chipotle joke. So yeah. Um, so they reported Q3 results. Uh, revenue came in at 1.6 billion, which was up 14% year over year. So that's kind of crazy, right? They're a restaurant and True, their actually, revenue yeah. is up compared to last year's third quarter when the pandemic was not on so that's kind of that's that is that is quite impressive i was actually. kind of mind blown like that i first i thought 14 percent is that quarter over quarter is that like better than last quarter but year over year so this is this is one of those uh restaurant chains that has changed their business though yes that to, is correct to, to get more like uh like uh takeaway kind of things yeah delivery exactly right? yeah so yeah. digital okay. sales um which is now 50% of their total sales, grew 202%. So their digital wow. sales tripled <laughs> during the period. Yeah, um, yeah that's insane. And uh, I, I did it, oh, as always, I did a search in the press release for any mention of Chipotle Lanes and management said that they attribute some of the, that growth in digital sales to their brand new Chipotle Lanes. So, yes, <laughs> I knew it. I knew this would happen. I knew this. How long have we been saying that Chipotle's are a good idea? Probably before the Chipotle exists, I think. I yeah. reckon. I reckon we should have some sort of plaque on a Chipotle somewhere in the US yeah. saying, this is for Brandon and Hamish always supporting us. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. But I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense that a lot of the, I mean, if people aren't going to go in and sit down and eat Chipotle in the store, it makes sense that if there's a drive-through option, that's going to go up. And if there's a, if there's a way to just order and get it delivered, then that's going to go up as well. Yeah. And I mean, what my thinking here is that if the fact that their revenue is still up 14% year over year, if that isn't a good, and, and the fact that digital sales tripled, if that isn't a good enough example of a competitive advantage, I don't know what is because that yeah, just shows you good, that regardless of how people need to get the food and the cost associated with it because delivery food is more expensive, people are they're still, still buying it. it. Um, so that's a mm. pretty good example, I think, of a business that has something that's kind of uh, attracting customers back consistently. Um, I would, uh, I would agree, definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, so I mean, earnings was two dollars and eighty two cents per share, and that was down nineteen percent year over year, and uh, that's just due to higher operating expenses, as to be expected. Um, there's just a lot more expenses associated with uh, running a business the way that they're running it now, which is substantially digital uh, with delivery. Um, they opened 44 new restaurants and closed three and management is still confident that over the long term, I don't know what period they describe as long term, but they believe they can double the number of restaurants, which would increase their restaurants to about 5,400 over the long term. Jeez, that's all right then. Yeah, so I don't I don't know what they just said over the long term. <laughs> I yeah. don't know what that means, but <laughs> twenty yeah. years, ten years, whatever it is. Um, but next year they're trying to open two hundred stores, um, so they're going to ramp up Jeez. how many stores they're nice. opening. Um, and then uh, in terms of the stock, it was down four percent, but is still up sixty five percent for the year. So like a lot of stocks at the moment, even if they go down a few percentage points towards the election or due to their earnings, there's still a lot of stocks at least are up significantly for the year yeah do you own chipotle no i don't um, no, okay. it's ridiculously expensive compared oh, to its right, okay um has right, a pe okay. of 152 uh yeah yeah i, I wouldn't be <laughs> i wouldn't be buying that <laughs> yeah that's all right 
You never know. I mean, might be justified if they can open what get their stores up to five thousand and something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great business. It's just it's too good. Even during the it's pandemic, just, yeah. which is arguably one of the times where restaurants are getting targetedly hit. <laughs> um, yeah. Even during that, they're doing so well. Like, there's no opportunity yeah. to get into it. Can't you it. just suck for a while? Yeah, just can you just have like a can you, another E. coli outbreak? No, that's terrible. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> we don't want that. Um, maybe uh, yeah, <laughs> we want something to go wrong. Something bad, but not too bad. We don't want anyone getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh uh, uh, dear. Well, good luck, Chipotle. Yes. I think it'll be. It'll be. Yeah, very. It is very strong business. But yeah, we can't overpay. Stop it, Brandon. Stop overpaying for stocks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like the last person that would overpay for stocks. Yeah. Very- I, I'm like, I, I'm pushing too conservative, really, with the, with the pricing. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that so, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all right. That uh, we should wrap things up. Yes, we should. We're going to come in smack bang on the hour, I think. Yeah, just about. How good's your yeah. outro? Let's, let's see. Here it is. Ready? Yep. Let's do it. Bye. <laughs> no, we're under That's an hour. It. You need to. <laughs> oh, sorry. F- wait, 15 seconds. Oh, I don't know. Wait, uh, have I only got 10 seconds? Let's try and finish it. Smack bang. 10, 9. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Remember to submit your questions, submit your discussion topics for big episode 100 next week. Thanks, Hamish, always for joining me. Thanks, thanks to ShareSite for sponsoring. <gasps> and we'll see you guys next week. Was that good? It's good. All right. Done. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>